Welcome to episode 24 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast with Tom Fox and Matt Kelly, where we take a deep dive into one or more compliance-related topics. Matt, of course, is the founder and editor of Radical Compliance. I'm the principal of Advanced Compliance Solutions. Today, we take a look at a paper written by then-SEC General Counsel James Doty about a proposal for a regulatory FCPA scheme back in 2007. It was uh, recently uh, cited in a couple of articles about the uh, SEC chairman-designate in the new Trump administration. We uh, then take a look at the arrest of Oliver Schmidt and both conclude that it has nothing negatively to imply for compliance practitioners and chief compliance officers going forward. The episode comes in at uh, just over 25 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, where we uh, take a deep dive into a topic or topics. And today we've got an interesting and meaty one. So, uh, Matt, welcome. Hello, Tom. It's always good to be uh, talking with you and our, our listeners here. So, Matt, uh you wrote a, uh, I thought, a very interesting post about the uh, chairman nominee for the Securities and Exchange Commission, Jay Clayton, and it was uh, initially about a paper Clayton co-authored in 2011 criticizing FCPA enforcement, but taking a deeper dive into both uh, Clayton's paper and your blog post, which is entitled Yield Plan for FCPA Compliance Reform, you went back and took a look at a very interesting paper written by Jim Doty or James Doty in 2007 when he was general counsel for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Doty uh, has been chairman and uh, I believe uh, interim chairman of the PCAOB now for uh, the last six years. And it, it really had some very uh, interesting ideas about a different type of FCPA regulatory and enforcement scheme. So uh, with that introduction, and let me get to see if I can get the name of the paper, Towards a Reg FCPA, a Modest Proposal for Change in Administering the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Well, would you let me turn it over to you and talk a little bit about what you thought uh, Chairman Doty or, or at that time General Counsel Doty was pr uh, proposing? Sure, yeah. I was really intrigued when I came across this paper. I had not heard of it back in 2007 when he originally wrote it. Um, I have some links on my post on radical compliance if people do want to dig it up. Uh, it's, uh, I believe the paper is only available to be viewed, not even downloaded, uh, on a business law uh, peer journal that's out there. But there are links uh, in the show notes. I'm sure you'll have them so people can go and read it. But Doty was proposing, and this was in 2007, that the SEC adopt a regulation about FCPA compliance so companies would have to disclose their compliance program. Now, disclose exactly what? That would be subject to what that regulation is, but it could have been compliance procedures or policies or various controls, codes of conduct. But if you submitted that filing... And the SEC staff then reviewed that filing and found no problems with that filing, you would be deemed to have an effective compliance program. And uh, therefore, over time, 
as the SEC would, in theory, give you comment letters about your compliance program, or you might ask for no-action letters, and all the other things that we see in SEC filings elsewhere, especially around financial reporting. Uh, as this body of comments and, and literature grew, we would have a more definitive idea of what an effective FCPA compliance program looks like. And it would move us away from what we have seen in the last 10 years since this paper came out, which is much more enforcement-driven and all we have to go on for what an effective FCPA compliance program looks like is what these enforcement actions say and the speeches of various SEC um, and Justice Department officials, which we all pore over like Greek oracles looking at the entrails of sacrificed birds and whatnot. And this is not a good idea. This is a little bit more arbitrary, and we're filling in the blanks. Um, Doty's concept to have a disclosure-based regime, I you know, there are various issues between what seemed like a good idea then and what would be a good idea today, but as a concept, it's it's not a bad idea. So the um, as I understood his concept, it would be once the uh, filing of the compliance program was made with appropriate exhibits, uh, then the commission would uh, give it some cursory review if the uh, it met the uh, minimum standards set by the commission the company would uh, deem to have um, a presumption, rather, of compliance and that they would have a safe harbor uh, mm -hmm. unless there was an untoward event, at which point uh, then the burden would still be with the commission to demonstrate that the compliance regime was ineffective. But once they made that, then, of course, the burden would shift to the, uh, com to the company to demonstrate why uh, they should not be sanctioned or penalized uh, for an employee's actions. And that was uh, also something that we've heard talked about uh, over the, the years. It's a little bit more than a, it's a compliance defense plus a sh uh, burden shifting provision mm -hmm. that we don't currently have uh, under FCPA. The, um, the, one of the things that struck me, Matt, was that uh, I've talked to SEC uh, regulators and they have a little bit different focus than uh, uh, prosecutors at the Department of Justice. They do see themselves as a, uh, not so much administrators, but regulators and uh, being able to provide information and a give and take with public companies. And so uh, those conversations sort of led to the conclusion, or at least uh, me concluding, that you know perhaps the SEC is a little more well-suited in the regulatory scheme, because that's that's what they do. That's what they focus on, the Securities Act, public companies. Um, not only access to capital, but financial statements that accurately report the financial health of the company, internal controls that uh, accurately record what management has done, and then uh, books and records provisions, which accurately convey to investors who are the, uh, the true beneficiaries of the SEC the accurate information so perhaps there's there's really something there uh, at the SEC that might lend itself to this type of regime. Well, this, I, th I think you're right, and I think it feeds into why would we talk about this right now? Well, we talk about it because Jay Clayton, who I suspect is going to get uh, confirmed as the next SEC chairman, probably in the next you know, month or so, um, but once he does take over, you know, he cited the Doty paper in his own paper that Clayton wrote in 2011, he cited that for a reason. And his reason was that the enforcement-based regime 
we have since see come to pass, uh, it complicates corporate uh, entities' ability to do deals um, if they are worried about vicarious liability or inherited liability through a merger acquisition or a, a joint venture or something like that. Uh, that gives them pause about do we want to do deals or not. And regardless of what you think of Jay Clayton, and we can have that conversation in another podcast, but regardless of that, what does he do? He is a securities lawyer. Um, he is not a litigator. He is not representing cases in white-collar defense or anything like that. He does deals. He is now running the agency that is in charge of making sure deals can be done and they treat investors fairly, so he's thinking in these terms. Um, he was thinking in those terms in 2011 when Clayton wrote his paper. I'm sure he's still thinking of them now. So suddenly a vehicle that could help companies get stability and certainty and let them do more deals or have a better path to do more deals, like that's what Clayton wants. And Clayton's going to be the guy in charge at the SEC. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we did see something like this, a version 2.0, because this was a long time ago in relative terms when Doty floated this idea. But it's for where we are. This is not an idea to be dismissed. So since 2007, obviously we've had a wealth of enforcement actions, but we've also had uh, the FCPA guidance where the DOJ and SEC articulated 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program. We've had a standardization of enforcement actions, which have given us uh, the Department of Justice's thinking on the uh, best, uh, best practices compliance program. We've had, in addition to the public pronouncements that... Uh, you, I, and others perhaps uh, read tea leaves into. We also had the FCPA pilot program that articulated standards that the Department of Justice has indicated that they would take a look at, uh, not only in terms of whether a company cooperates, self-discloses, and, and cooperates in an investigation, but actually laying out some of the uh, standards that the Department of Justice would look at to see if a company is actually doing compliance. So we've had a fair amount of public information uh, going forward from 2007, uh, but you uh, alluded to, and in, in, in your blog post, you had a few items that uh, you thought could go wrong. So why don't you maybe go through those, and we can talk about those as well. Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, um, what could go wrong is we could wind up writing a bad regulation FCPA. Um, you know, maybe they're going to set the threshold for disclosure so low that it becomes meaningless. Um, maybe we won't have any SEC staffers who are going to review these filings with any expertise. Um, you know, you could point to maybe the conflict minerals uh, example of where we are filing the conflict mineral rules disclosures. Technically, they get a review by the SEC. Technically, you could take action against a company for poor SC conflict minerals rule compliance. But really, the SEC staffers are not necessarily going to be expert in that. Could we see that same sort of lack of staffing or expertise around an FCPA program review? Yes, we could. Um, you know, it is correct to say that we now have much more guidance about enforcement, thanks to the uh, guidance the Justice Department put out in 2012. We have many more uh, enforcement actions to look at. It's also worth noting that when Doty and Clayton both, when they both wrote their respective papers, they said 
Basically, it's not like anyone else in the world enforces anti-bribery. Well, that's not true today. We've got new anti-bribery rules in the UK, in Brazil, in Canada. We have one just adopted in France. Are they going to uh, impose the same sort of FCPA-like attention that the U.S. does? I don't know. Maybe not. But the rules and the laws are there. Um, some other points that I worry about are how would we define what is a material item to be disclosed? Uh, you know, what if you do find that you've got a small bribe, but, you know, if you have a small accounting discrepancy of $2,000, you know, Walmart does not have to worry about that in its corporate filings because $445 billion in annual revenue, two grand in an accounting error is not a big deal. But two grand of a bribe can go a long way in the poorest countries in the world. And so how do we get, what's the materiality threshold? For a problematic bribe, I don't know. How would a rule answer that? Um, somebody else pointed out to me that if you are subject to the FCPA, but you do not file with the SEC, such as maybe some foreign companies, this whole idea, this does nothing for you because you're not getting that review from the SEC. You're just reading more comment letters from the SEC. You're in the same boat as you are today where you're reading enforcement actions. So how useful would this idea be for those who are subject to the law but are not SEC filers. That's a good point. Um, we probably have other ideas that I haven't even thought of about you know how to make this work and pull it into the modern world. But fundamentally, some way to give companies certainty about what they should do so they can then move forward with doing deals, which this is all Donald Trump wants as president, this is all that Jay Clayton has ever done before his move to the SEC. Um, they're always going to be thinking in those terms. What are the best ways to solidify the operational turf for companies to move forward in the capital markets? So I don't know. There's just some of those points that are going to have to be worked out if Clayton is even thinking about this. And he may have many other concerns on his agenda before he gets to this. But I do think sooner or later he will look at FCPA enforcement try to think about how to simplify compliance with the law, and this is the sort of idea that you know could be in his orbit. So I guess my greatest fear is that uh, this type of incentive would only garner companies putting paper compliance programs in place, and mm -hmm. that's all that uh, the SEC would review is the paper program. And once a safe harbor was established, uh, my corporate experience tells me companies will put no more money into it. So it's uh, the basic concern I have anytime anyone raises the absolute compliance defense or, or something else is that, uh, you know, a paper program is great on paper, but uh, that's where it ends. So the, um, well, you know, you thought a lot, a lot, Matt, about uh, the incoming Congress, how Trump and Congress may or may not govern the legislative process. Maybe we could explore how something like this uh, would, uh, how we could even talk about getting it through Congress, because, of course, uh, the FCPA has a criminal component. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if there's intent, um, there is criminal prosecution by the Department of Justice. Uh, what Doty seemed to be uh, proposing was only on the... Maybe I was reading into it, but it was on the civil side of things yep. where the SEC would hold sway. And so it's difficult for me to be able to think through. Certainly the Department of Justice would not be in favor of this. 
or I would think they would not be in favor of it. But, I, but, I think uh, that you raise an excellent would. point about that. Um, yeah, I My very first question, if we were serious about this, uh, about an idea like this, would be, where's Jeff Sessions on this? Where is his uh, deputy attorney general, who typically would be in charge of these kind of policy issues? What about the assistant attorney general for the criminal division? Um, both of those figures, we don't even know who they are. They may not be nominated for many weeks, and they have to go through Senate confirmation. Like, this doesn't really have legs until the Justice Department sends some signals about what it wants to do with FCPA enforcement. Um, I think people should keep straight in their mind that there are two different issues here. One is changing FCPA enforcement, and one is changing FCPA compliance. And they are not the same, even though one does lead to the other and kind of vice versa. They're two snakes twisted around each other, but they are not the same. Um, a lot of this, you know, questions you're raising are, I think they're spot on. And the correct answer today is we don't know. Um, the only thing we do know is that Congress does not need to get involved in this. And frankly, they've got enough trouble uh, on their own that um, unless they want to change the scope of the law, which gets to FCPA enforcement, they could just let the SEC go ahead and do this. It would propose an idea for a regulation FCPA. It would hear some comment, and it could adopt it. Um, it's nothing that says that they can't do something like this. So, Matt, I have to end with Mr. Doty's ending of his piece because mm -hmm. it made me wonder if this was, if not tongue-in-cheek, how serious he is because his penultimate paragraph on page 256 begins with, the Janinists are often cited metaphor for the futility which reality imposes on dedication to a narrow principle and the unintended consequences of failure to step back and reconsider the fundamental principles at stake. So that got me interested in who are the Janinists and yep. what is Janinism, and I actually looked that up. And they were a, a Catholic theological movement from the 1600s that was actually closer to Calvinism. But their basic tenet was they denied the role of free will in salvation. And I found that to be extraordinarily interesting in the context of uh, anti-corruption enforcement because the question that those who want to cut back on enforcement often say is, well, gosh, we've still got people out there paying bribes, so maybe we need uh, to have a just do away with the law. And it seems to me that they are denying the free will of human beings to uh, screw up. Well, you know, and I have to I admit thought that a couple was an of things interesting, first. Uh, uh, I, I had to look up what Jananism was, too. Uh, second, after I read that, I said to myself, thank God I never had Jim Doty as a Sunday school teacher, because clearly <laughs> he knows stuff. Um, but, you know, what was most interesting to me in reading through his paper was a comparison he made between paying bribes, and he said the nearest other crime comparable to this is actually insider trading. Right. We, we all have rules that say you can't do it. We all know you shouldn't do it. On a certain moral level, I find that um, gaming the system to be able to profit that I can do it, but you can't. You know, that, like, that just strikes me as wrong on ethical grounds, but it happens all the time. Um, it's a valid point to, to treat bribery as, as sort of um, endemic to the corporate world. 
that doesn't mean that you dismiss it or just say, well, we're never going to solve it, so okay, it's legal. And there are some people who say that about insider trading. There's like, why bother making it a crime? You're never going to be able to stop it. Uh, that's a cop-out, I think, if you're an ethics and compliance officer. Um, but you know, I think that it is an interesting analogy, and it, I, it, it struck me that um, it might be a good way to treat bribery as well. Like this is going to be a perennial problem. The, the bribers shall always be with us, and um, we're going to have to keep on working on it. But just because we're never going to have a final triumph in eradicate bribery, uh, that doesn't mean you should throw your hands up and say, well, I guess you know, we're just not going to bother enforcing the law and who cares. Uh, and I don't think that's what Doty would want to say either. And that certainly it's I haven't heard very many people ever say that, you know, why are we bothering with bribery? It's just it is what it is. Let's just live with it. That's a terrible way to go through life. Well, Matt, there's one other thing I wanted to take up, and it happens because uh, you and I both blogged on the same topic today, and, and mm -hmm. I consider that uh, the stars aligning at least for a brief discussion. So um, we both blogged about uh, Oliver Schmidt and the Volkswagen uh, executive who was arrested this week. And the, the thing that struck us both was several commentators, or at least there were some articles that raised the issue of CCL liability. And I think we both came to the conclusion that um, of all of the things this talked about or considered or impacted, the liability of a chief compliance officer or a compliance practitioner was not one of them. So uh, why don't you give me your take on it? I, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, when you read through the affidavit that led to Mr. Schmidt getting arrested, um, it looks pretty bad, you know, where he, the, the day that he found out that they were fabricating some test results, which apparently was in April 2014, the day he found out, he sent an email to other managers saying, we need to think about how to handle this and whether we want to be honest. And if we don't, we just stick with the story. I'm paraphrasing that, but I do have the actual quote up on my blog that basically he did say, we have to decide if we want to be honest. Right. That's grounds to turn in your compliance officer card right there if you're wondering whether honesty is the policy or not. I mean, look, it looks to me like he was complicit in this. You know, if you shoot somebody as part of your job, you will face a murder charge. This is the sort of thing that goes on. Um, it is not at all like CCO liability and I would say the, the sort of craze, hypersensitivity to it that we've seen in the last year about if there's any compliance failure at your company anywhere, the compliance officer is going to face some sort of civil or criminal penalty. No, these things don't happen. They almost never happen even in the financial advisory world where they have heightened standards for compliance. They certainly do not happen outside the financial world you know, where compliance officers are being you know, facing fines because somebody else paid a bribe. This is not at all a thing, you know, Oliver Schmidt, it's only a thing for him because he was complicit in the misconduct. I it just, I, I get worked up over CCO liability. I do not believe it is any sort of a threat. Anybody should be losing sleep over. You have enough to lose sleep over already. This is not one of those other issues. So you've articulated uh, much better than I could have what I said on the subject in a, a much longer recitation today. Uh, the only thing I would add for any listeners of this podcast who may be executives of foreign companies, 
who are under investigation for FCPA violations, do not travel to the United States. Uh, you will be subject to arrest. Do you not, not travel through Schiphol Airport. You will be subject to arrest. Um, and if Oliver Schmidt had not been so stupid as to travel to the United States while he was under investigation by the uh, Department of Justice, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So uh, that's my hot take for uh, any foreign executives who may be uh, listening to our podcast on a regular basis. You actually, I, one more thing, Tom, I think you bring up an excellent point that, I mean, did he not get the memo about the Yates memo and the pursuit of individuals? I, I kind of wonder, where were the lawyers telling him, don't do this? I, I know that Florida is a very popular destination for German <laughs> tourists, and that's where he got picked up. Somebody somewhere along the line should have told him, you have to watch out, and they didn't. Um, you know, so there's all sorts of problems and missteps along the way here. But, uh, yeah, that, your, your advice is spot on for anybody. <laughs> well, Matt, uh, this is... Uh I really enjoy these podcasts. Getting into the weeds on some of this stuff is a ton of fun. And uh, Dodie's article was really thought-provoking, and it gave us both uh, quite a bit to, to consider and, and you know, maybe to, to look forward to in a new administration. All right. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I have two requests for you. The first is if you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, if you would rate this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it as it would help our rankings. The second thing is Matt and I always love hearing from our listeners. And if you would like some questions, uh, a question or two answered in our upcoming mailbag episode, I'd appreciate it if you'd email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Matt's available at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.